Hello, hello. Hey. How's it going? It's going fine. How have you been? Not too bad. Busy, busy, but not too bad. And this is the fifth episode of Bi-Weekly Podcast with the host Dima Marenko. It's you. It's here. And Vyacheslav Rudnitsky. Yep. That's you. That's me. And before we jump into our next topic, I have a short follow-up to episode two, I guess. That, All right. Yeah, uh, let's was go. about uh, the death of expertise. Mm-hmm. As I was preparing for another coming Aspen seminar, I was reading one of the texts which very strongly reminded me your position about this expert thing and mm, crowds of people who are shallow or not very, let's say, competent in a specific area, but they would like to share their opinions. And the text was named, I, it's really hard because I was reading in Ukrainian, Jose Artega Igasset, The Rebellion of Mass or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I, I've heard about this one. So I could literally pick like uh, paragraphs of text that, that were saying exactly what you were saying. Mm-hmm. That rings the bell. Well, I guess that that may be because it's just um, th- th- those masses now have a little bit more ways to influence what's going on. But we that probably goes to say I think that this book is early twentieth century or something like that. I guess it goes to say that people always, more or less, always were like that. Um, yeah, and I think there were some v- valid points and arguments uh, there, and it's quite. An interesting piece of reading. I believe that the author was the Spanish philosopher who was born in Madrid and then moved between Germany and Spain, seeing different sorts of working class people. And he he's relatively modern, so he knows what tech and television does to people. I'm not sure that he got a glimpse of internet, but still quite an interesting piece of reading and I wanted to fo- link it with our previous episode and we will also put links to to the author and to the book into our show notes as always and you can find them on biweeklycast.com but today our topic is actually different and we would I would like to talk about the sense of fulfillment I'm not sure whether you would like to talk about it but you'll have to because this is episode guided by you <laughs> All right, and so, so you know, in order for you to to feel fulfilled, I'll, I'll do whatever. And I'm, and I'm just joking. It's a, it's an interesting interesting topic. Let's let's dive into it. I bumped into a podcast about the feeling of arrival when you get the emotional condition that or state that you feel satisfied with arriving where you are. And it kind of connected with our first episode about planning, because when you set goals, when you make those plans, at a certain point, you feel satisfied or dissatisfied with them. And one of the reasons why you and I were practicing themes by Cortex system was because this feeling or sense of arrival is a bit different uh, than in the standard goal setting system. So 
I've picked two episodes of Focused Podcast to start up. Uh, but before, I think we should start with definitions. Or, uh, may, may, may I start with, with, with a little story? It, it, it has sure. almost no relation to what we're going to discuss, except for some coincidences, but I think it might be interesting. I, I would consider this maybe one of my first exposure to the world of English idioms and then stuff like that. On my very first trip to, to the U.S., I was um, I was given an uh, like uh, sat nav device like we don't have smart we didn't have smartphones at that time and for navigation we used those um, dedicated smart nav devices and uh, a friend now a friend who who lives in the US um, gave me this device like you can use this for a week um, because somehow I didn't get it with the with the car rental like and whatnot but but he warned me that hey th- this uh, this device is is kind of funny in a way because when when you arrive at the destination it says you have arrived and uh he told me that he always smiles because in kind of in idiomatic english it means that you have arrived means that you achieved success success or everything you could desire uh in uh, in life so yeah that's just the the title of the episode you never arrive uh, reminded me of this because, like, according to that Satnav device, you can technically arrive once in a while. Yep. And uh, speaking about the etymology of words, I think that the word achievement that we m- normally use when we speak about goals is not really directly connected or linked to emotional states. You wouldn't say, like, I feel achieving or something like that. You use different terms. You say, I'm mm. satisfied by achieving the goal or I'm fulfilled. I right. have the sense of fulfillment. So there are different words. We never use the word achievement itself to describe uh, or, or any forms of achieving as something to describe our state. But we use different words. And that's kind of tricky because I think that fulfillment, achievement, satisfaction are closely connected. Mm-hmm. The same way as not achieving is related to dissatisfaction, frustration, and many other emotional states. But the correlation or root cause dependency is really interesting. All right. Yep. Let's, let's, let's interrupt that. Let's interrupt that. And you suggested we start with definitions. Since my main focus would be on the sense of fulfillment, I would ask you with your own words to explain like what this word means to you when you say like, I'm fulfilled. Mm. <laughs> uh, um, I think it, it would sound like a joke, but maybe that we, we can start from it. So the sense of fulfillment is a feeling that you feel when you accomplished something. Accomplished something. What if it's something you didn't really want to accomplish? Like you arrived to the destination where you didn't really want to go. Would you still feel sense of fulfillment? Well, I, I guess probably not. I guess that, that that's a great great distinction. Probably that that is connected to like my own goals and only for my own goals or things that I planned, I can fulfill. Because in this situation, I guess I would characterize my feelings. I would feel maybe relieved a little bit that. I can now settle mm-hmm. a little bit and then think about the future and whatnot, but definitely I will not 
feel accomplished if I arrive somewhere where I didn't want to go or where I, I was forced to go kind of against my will. So according to Oxford Dictionaries, fulfillment means the achievement of something desired, promised, or predicted. But I decided to think a bit more about it. And all this desired, promised, and predicted is kind of united for me by the word expected. So for some reasons, you expect these sort of results. You have certain expectations about, I don't know, results, activities, outcomes, or something. And when the reality meets your expectations about something, you're like, mm, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted or expected this to be. And you feel this sense of fulfillment, I guess, especially when it's related to your own, to the results of your own activities, plans or work. Yep, that, that kind of makes sense. That's a good, very good way to, to put it. You set an expectation for yourself, uh, both in terms of, something uh, that there's a moment in the future and there is some kind of threshold i guess associated with that where you can say that hey oh indeed it, it crossed the threshold i have achieved or something like that and i think that this is one of the areas which we probably should discuss because this sense of achievement or fulfillment I can say that I experience quite rarely, like comparing to the number of goals I set and the tasks I do and everything else, I can't really say that I'm regularly content or satisfied or fulfilled. I'm thrilled, excited. There are many other states that I feel about work I'm doing, but only on very rare occasions. Usually it's some kind of huge retrospective for six months or yearly annual report for the board or something like that, I can get into this sense of fulfillment. But I think that it's not necessarily, it, it shouldn't be that, that way. And uh, for me personally, it's always been a challenge to praise people or to give supportive feedback to people after they achieved some minor things because they seemed minor to me. And achieving a mini goal doesn't bring enough satisfaction or fulfillment. And with time, it kind of progressed. And I feel that maybe this is not the best way to approach it. That's why I started digging into this topic and landed on this You Never Arrive episode. That's interesting. I would say I, I, feel, I feel the same way, maybe even worse in, in, in a certain sense. I, I, at some point in time in, in the past, I noticed that it is... As I think it's described in this, they, they discuss this in You Never Arrive episode, that when you have this expectation, anticipation for something to happen, you are very thrilled. They somehow connected this to dopamine and, and other hormones. But then when you actually achieve something, you, when, when, you, when you kind of arrive, you feel empty, right? In a sense. And I definitely felt like that. And I think with time that kind of feeling of emptiness after arriving or after achieving something kind of prompted me to not be too excited or not to want things too much just to avoid that feeling of emptiness but that the the other side of this would be that i don't really feel as much joy when i achieve something which i would agree is not a great thing 
Moreover, given our culture, we tend to set new goals very fast. Like we don't actually stop after achieving something to reflect on it, to celebrate it. We've closed the sprint, we start the next sprint, and it basically goes continuously on and on and on. And upon arriving somewhere, we already have something better in the future perspective, and we start thinking about it. And one of the terms that I've discovered for myself in this first episode, you never arrive, was the term arrival fallacy. I know that Hmm. you and I are keen on different fallacies, and I think this is quite a specific one. And uh, in the definition, it's an illusion when somebody mm, feels that only when you arrive or when you make something happen, when you reach your destination, you will feel this lasting happiness. Mm -hmm. Something that will make you happy for a really, really long time, like buying a car or launching a product or finally fixing all the bugs or releasing the hundredth episode of podcast or something like that. And the key word was the illusion, because in fact, this lasting happiness doesn't happen very often. Right. We kind of tend to, to expect a shift, right, in level of happiness or whatever it is with, with this arrival, but it does not happen like that. You, you just don't go to that next level because in the big scheme of things, I guess, Things did not change too too much for 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 this tectonic shift to to happen. And funny thing that I kind of experienced this in my daily life very very often. For example, motorcycle riding. Mm-hmm. The journey is much better than the destination because you enjoy the process, the way you really like the flow. Sometimes you even don't want to arrive too soon because then it will end, and the happiness is in the process. Playing the guitar is very similar, or learning to play something. It is a lot of fun. Like you discover some new patterns, you learn some new gestures, and the procedure is cool. And then when you finally learn how to play, let's say, the feelings, it's not the happiness from being able to play it finally, but the joy of learning it that actually makes the process worth. And on these out-of-work examples... I look really wise, like, you know, I'm super smart and like, huh, you should enjoy the process. The journey is what brings pleasure. But then I come back to work. I look at the KPIs, goals, tasks, and everything that we use there as management frames. And I kind of lose this feeling or it's not exactly the same. Maybe it doesn't have to be the same, but uh, it doesn't work in the same way as I would like it. Right. Yeah. I think definitely it it has this, I mean, our work has this element because we coordinate with other people. We have, there are multiple things at stake. We have to plan forward and put those yardsticks to, to measure our achievement. And they're continuously uh, in, in, in our eyes and they are, way ahead from where we are now which makes us focused on 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 that thing and doesn't allow us really to celebrate small successes that i would argue probably it, it would be possible to find every every single day it would be possible to find something even even as simple as oh didn't didn't things didn't break the world is still uh, is still running and isn't that a wonderful wonderful thing 
a very profound thought that you're raising. To me, it's even more because even in the way you explained it about little wins or small successes, it still feels different because I believe that um, the rival fallacy is actually about focusing at any sort of victory or success mm. or even micro results. So it's not about the results. It's about the way that you can actually experience happiness in the process without achieving pretty much anything. Just enjoying the way you get there or the approach or the method. And I think that it's kind of counterintuitive in terms of the business culture that we work in when our success is kind of measured not by how happy we are while doing our job, but um, by what we have achieved or what we have accomplished. Um, the n- number of employees in your company, the revenue growth, uh, the number of products launched, uh, user base or whatever, whatever numbers are there. Nobody actually says like, mm, are you happy doing your job? Maybe they, they do a little bit. Right? It's just that it's not at the forefront of what's being measured or what's being acted upon. Because it turned to be that when I think about some people who work in crafts, you know, these right. uh, people who make you know, cups, clay cups, or some something handmade, when you see that they're happy by doing this, you know, oh, like I think this guy will be really good at what he's doing. But when I look at the engineer, I still think like, mm, what have you built? Rather than do you actually enjoy the process of coding? Or when I look at the manager, like, hmm, do you like checking your task managers? I think it, it, it may be more multifaceted than, than this um, because the people working in crafts, I guess that depending on their setup, the actual crafting is only part of what they're doing. So they, when they crafted those things that they, they are making, they need to go ahead and kind of, I guess, sell them to support themselves and their families. And while they're enjoying the, the crafting work, they may not enjoy the sales work as, as much. And they, even though by and large, it would be part of their craft, craftsmanship or day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month activities, they would not be enjoying or being happy about that part of uh, work. Whereas for, for an engineer, is that, that depends for uh, from, from person to person. Engineers in a, let's say, corporation, most of their time is spent actually engineering and then, say, money automatically appear in their in their bank account and maybe if if a person really truly enjoys this engineering stuff like building or understanding complex systems or finding bugs and and disconnections in it they may maybe feel more um let's put it this way feel the joy of their craft more often than craftsmen um who work as um standalone little small business maybe in some abstract vacuum that would be the truth but uh, when we invite these guys for the performance review procedure to review their salary we will ask them about the percentage of bugs uh, the number of lines of code god forgive me or some other kpis that the company set to measure their productivity Mm -hmm. and their performance and 
pretty much nobody cares whether they enjoy or didn't enjoy the process except for challengers at the retention or exit interview when they ask you like, hmm, how did two years in Meta feel for you? It didn't feel bad. didn't feel bad at all. But I guess that <laughs> I think maybe we, we, we can explore uh, here a little bit the, the connection between the internal state and external kind of forces because if if those engineers are not asked if they are happy that i guess does not preclude them actually being happy about the work they do right? and and enjoying like so, some people say that hey as as engineers like yeah we don't like working on bugs and that, that that's that's stupid but actually some of the bugs are really fun to work on because when when the bug is like uh the, this label doesn't fit this field and you just go ahead and fix one uh one one with value um in, in the template yeah that that, that that does not feel fulfilling right to, doing that but it, when you come across something system does something weird in very peculiar circumstances and no one understands why and then you unravel the mystery and feel almost like sherlock holmes that's that's a completely different thing, but you also feel uh, fixing uh, fixing a bug. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, I, I thought about a metaphor that could explain like the direction I'd like to go, and I remembered a story my friend Alexei told me. I'm not really sure whether it was Chinese, some sort of Asian concept of um, labeling your activities. And there were basically three states. that There is the state of routine, like you do some sort of things. The mm -hmm. state of war, the crisis when something happens and you have to accumulate all the energy and power. Let's say release day. Yeah, it's like the, you prepare for two weeks and then you push the product to production. Right. And the celebration when things go well and you're like, yay, like we, we did something. And then you come back to the routine. And the overall percentage is that the routine takes up to 90% of your time. Then the war takes another eight and then just 2% for celebration for some victories that happened along the way. And to me, uh, this sense of fulfillment in terms of work has been very, very closely connected to the celebration episodes. Like when you actually look at the results, when you speak about the goals, when you do the retrospective. And what I realized after listening to this, you never arrive episode that maybe the sense of fulfillment and happiness should come from the routine as well, from the 90% of activities that you do, from your daily habits, from the meetings you run, from the way they happen, from the way everything is arranged and organized. So that, that it actually makes you happy. Right. So it's, it's like almost sounds, and I'm, I'm not sure if, if this was in, in the story, that you can kind of sort of schedule celebration moments throughout not to tie them to war in intense warlike episodes but just take time to reflect a little bit and celebrate what you've got at at the moment so th th that's like the main area of thinking and i still i'm not sure how to think about it because for now sense of fulfillment is kind of coined to the level of achieving the goal and while we were doing the retrospective on our OKRs uh, for the past summer, let's say three months, I realized that if 
the goals are not achieved at least 70%, I feel that the work hasn't been done, even though there are so many factors, like there is a war out there and there are many things that are changing on the market. Our clients are in very turbulent times and many things are changing and shifting right now. And not achieving the goals is not necessarily the bad thing because we probably were doing something very important that just was not uh, assigned as a goal uh, back three months before we knew what, what was going to happen. And I think that uh, this sense of satisfaction probably could come from an alternative way to see this, that it's not always meeting the expected results that you planned a year ago. And uh, this is where I can connect it to themes, yeah? because in themes, you don't clearly define the final destination. Right. You define the direction, you move towards this direction, and theoretically, OKRs should be built in the same way. Because they have this objective, which is the high-level vector, and then the key results, and technically the key results shouldn't be as important as moving towards the objective. But the reflection system, the retrospective system that is built around the OKR system is still very key result focused. Like we check all the numbers, all the achievements, what has been done, what hasn't been done. And we don't talk about the philosophy of objectives that much. Like how actually have we moved towards this? Do we still enjoy moving in this direction? Does it make our life better in any way? Yeah, did, did, did we move our best foot forward moving in that direction? Do we, do we believe that this direction is important and regardless of the difficulties and whatnot, we should continue going there? That, that, that makes a lot of, of sense to me. I, I guess I have, I have two thoughts to pile on to, to this topic and maybe one, one would be taking a step, a little bit of a step back to the, this routine thing I I just realized that a bit of my routine now is regular working out. It's well, uh, it it sounds like high brow and high key, but I, I either run or do my high intensity interval training workout for for half a, for half an hour. But my goal there is for to to, to hit the like the activity rings on Apple Watch every day, and I kind of do that and to me that's largely part of a of a routine i then when i come back from office or when i end my work day i then decide what what kind of thing I, i'm going to do to to get to to the necessary state of activity rings and to me this is part of a routine i'm kind of happy the way it is but i realized that apple watch still calls this thing an achievement so if you do if you have a perfect week so for all seven days, you you um, close all the rings. It, it is called an achievement, but it's based at least, at least to me, it's based on the on the routine. So I thought that might be like interesting connection or overlap between routine and sense of achievement. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was thinking, what sort of practices or habits could we actually implement to bring more joy and happiness from the entire process of doing your work rather than purely focusing on the results and whether it makes sense or maybe maybe this is the area where we should actually not care about happiness and happiness is just overrated and this is not the measure of why we come here 
but then it feels kind of boring or sad. You know, you should be really lucky to enjoy the process you're in. And if you're not, well, who cares? I think we probably, to, to, to answer our immediate question, I think we should care. I want to say that maybe there was some research showing that people who feel more happy or more joy about their work tend to achieve better results compared to people who do not. It, it may be like wishful thinking or kind of projecting my thoughts onto the outside world, but maybe if we or someone does the research in this direction, they, they may find something, some sort of evidence suggesting one way or the other. And from, from this perspective, I think we should probably care about this. Even though, I guess, maybe not, if, if you look at, at this wider outside of a context of a particular company where the company may not care about happiness of the employees and they can still hit their results or achievements that they they want to to get in the context of the entire humanity i guess it makes more sense to have more happy people because like happier people can can, can move us forward to to forward to to better things like faster maybe uh, so i think it, it it does make sense to to care about this and and find ways to to do that and technically, there are many procedures that are supposed to help. Let's say regular one-to-ones. That's an activity that is originally designed to improve performance by checking in with the state, seeing what are the obstacles, what things could be improved, what can be done better, how things are going, etc., etc., etc. But uh, the point here is that um, even when people apply uh, to work, they put result-oriented as one of the best first qualities that they would like to describe themselves with. I'm result focused. Like I'm not, Mm -hmm. if if somebody writes like, I'm process oriented, that would (laughs) kind of cause the suspicion. Like, Hmm, really? So you don't care about why you're doing this thing. And I think for me, it's not the same. A person can be really into something Mm-hmm. And not really focusing on the results in terms of the hard numbers or hard facts or achieving specific goals. Let me put it this way. Let's say our company has uh, scheduled or planned or aimed at lending five new clients in terms of corporate English. We would like to open five amazing groups. But our sales manager focused and found a client that has launched 20 groups, which is about eight times more than an average uh, order. Mm-hmm. So it, it basically equals eight clients of the standard size, but just one. And it doesn't meet the goal. It doesn't meet the sales plan. And technically, the task is not achieved, and the managers shouldn't be that happy because like our number is only one out of five. But if you look at the... Overall direction, the sustainability of our company has improved and improved even much better than getting five standard clients. We, we got like um, a balance. Right now, I just realized that maybe it's not just the number of clients that actually matters, mm-hmm. but we should look into some other areas. Like why do we need more clients? Because we would like to get more job done. We would like to get new projects. We would like to launch new experiments. We would like to get more 
workplace for Ukrainian teachers. And right now we would like to give them jobs that they need. And we've achieved all those things. But the idea that somewhere out there, there is sales plan or a goal of five new clients mm -hmm. that is not achieved makes this salesperson feel, let's say, insecure, makes me concerned and worried, like whether should I reconsider every goal that I set every time we discuss it, because maybe it's not the same as it was before. So it is kind of confusing and I can't find a procedure that would, mm, as you like to say, start with why, yeah, you would still remember why you're doing things but mm -hmm. not being over-fixated with some past decisions or past ways how we stated the goals. Right. You definitely should find ways to be flexible because otherwise it would not allow us to seize lucky opportunities that we come across, like in, in this particular case, right? It's the... Is that the spirit of the goal to land five new clients was to increase revenue for the company or the, grow the company, whatever it means, that the spirit of the goal was that. And we just uh, use this as a tool to give us a little more specific so that we can track how well we are doing towards the goal uh, through through the quarter or half a year or, or a year. And then using the letter of the goal to punish ourselves for going above and beyond that does that does feel kind of kind of stupid so but but it also brings an interesting conundrum how like, like you said like when when there is enough flexibility in it because on on the other end of spectrum you can you don't achieve any of the goals and you say well like maybe they were not as important so like let's think about retrospectively about another goal that would allow us to, to feel good. I think there must be some sort of a balance somewhere, but it's kind of not easy to strike it. So what I see here is that maybe, maybe uh, there could be a different method to explain the goals. Because mm. currently smart methodology defines goals as specific, measurable timed like there should be a lot of restrictions and limitations otherwise it's not a goal it, like we, we've been uh, taught to consider goals only as smart because otherwise they don't exist okrs in a similar way uh, key results should be basically smarts uh, should be very numeric very definite very I'm not sure the word checkable exists but something you could check measurable M measurable yeah Mm, and attainable, of course. And when I think about our first tries uh, with Sonar One, not uh, in terms of biweekly, but in terms of a bigger podcast network, mm -hmm. and we were thinking about some success criteria, the idea was also about the number of shows, the number of listeners, the number of subscribers, the number of people in the chat, the number of engagements, and numbers, numbers, numbers. And I think with that approach, we wouldn't really last that long like we wouldn't be recording the podcast for six years just aiming at those things especially when things don't go according to your plan when you hit the targets it's it's, it's no brainer right? but but still like do you actually feel happy and fulfilled in the process 
That's the question. Man, that's a big question. Mm. But w- would you say that, I guess, in the, it would be too vague and, and too generic, but still, would, would you say that something like regular ref- like stopping for a little while and reflecting about what's going on, about your feelings, about those desires, um, things and and kind of evaluating and maybe adjusting what's what's going on based on that would be uh, at least part of a solution for this problem? I would say that uh, it should be these sort of breaks that you're talking about plus a mechanism that allows you to change the outcomes formulations when you see that they are not relevant and valid without much risk and tension and resistance from others. Let's say our sales team realizes a better strategy in the process and they say like, whoa, 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 you see, we are still heading that way. We are just looking for bigger clients. There will be fewer, but the overall result for the company would be great. So let's go that direction. And we just remove that goal or ticket or KR and put another one there stating something fresh and something new. And it doesn't mean that these guys failed or they're too changeable or something because they're still moving in the right direction. And right now, I don't see that sort of flexibility in businesses, even though it's kind of claimed. While I was reading a book about OKRs, it was saying like, hey, yeah, it's super flexible. You can change it. In terms of crisis, you can move things really fast. But when I see the reality, and I've seen, let's say, a dozen organizations using OKRs, about a hundred plus organizations using smart goals uh, in goal setting, maybe it's some kind of Ukrainian uh, culture or our way to measure success. But based on the podcast that I've listened uh, about perfectionism and you never arrive, it's pretty much similar uh, in the Western countries, UK, the US, etc. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And to me, I guess I would say that it maybe depends more on the particular situation or particular configuration in a company rather than kind of national western versus eastern thing and what i mean by that is i want to say that in maybe in some companies where they are when when they are more mature they may recognize that hey this is a this is a challenge this is a worthy thing for us to pursue to make sure that people who work for us are happy and they do not leave for other companies because we would lose money uh, recruiting and training and bringing up to speed new people. So they start paying more attention to that. And in, in, in that situation, the managers that they have and the procedures and processes that they have can include an element, all right, are we still tracking towards the goals we had would it be worth to maybe rethink or reevaluate the goals and adjust them uh, based on what we've been able to achieve so far in 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 this in this current period? But I guess by default, it's it's, it's our nature uh, that we we set something and we kind of consider this as done and we don't get back to it to 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 change because especially with the goals, it would maybe sometimes seen as a sign of weakness if you go to your goals too often and change them too often. It's like, oh, 
man, what what are you doing? Like, is this really a goal if you throw it out of the window um, at the first challenge you come across? And one of the main conflicts that I experience here that I do this in many other domains, like reading a book. I started mm-hmm. in the book 20 pages and I understand it's not my kind of thing or it's not my cup of tea or it's not for me right now. And I just stop and I take another book because that's mm-hmm. not what I need. Right. It's very easy. <laughs> in terms of sports, like I come to one hour training. I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I feel exhausted by 30 minutes. Can we just take it slower and finish in 40 minutes, not in 60 minutes? And that's totally fine because I see that 60 minutes wouldn't be beneficial for me. 40 minutes still will be. 60 won't. And I can adjust this in the process without feeling guilt, without feeling shame, without feeling that I haven't achieved something. But when I remove a goal from my task list or uh, from, from our board with OKRs, I can't get rid of this feeling. And the challenge is how to get this flexibility that we have in some other areas. We've already grown up yeah, and gotten mature and realized that things don't always happen the way we mm-hmm. foresee them, especially in the current world. You know, like when you were doing the agriculture in 1940s, things were pretty much predictable. You could get some percentage of risks, plus, minus, but still. Or like you were assembling cars in mm-hmm. 1970s. Right. Like it was the procedure. You could plan and schedule 20% growth. You probably still can. But then new Tesla arrives and you have to reassign everything, start developing new technologies, move into a different direction, uh, start investing into the infrastructure for the electric cars and your entire industry gets disrupted in two years. And you could have an amazing strategy for 10 years forward, but it, does it make actually sense to move there now? And when I think about such longer perspectives, it makes a lot of sense. Like, yes, things change, you should change. That's adaptivity and that's flexibility. Agile and all the, all the scrum. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to mentality of a person, of a manager in daily work, mm-hmm. I don't see the connection. And I think that this is something that uh, we kind of have to build in right now to keep people sane. Yes. So, so the, when you said that in in the long term, in the bigger perspective, this makes sense, like changing the goals and then or not. So then, I guess maybe bringing bigger picture and longer term perspective into uh, not maybe not necessarily daily thinking, but in into more or less regular consideration can help uh, with with. Um, coping with this and one other thing or one other idea i had for this would be to kind of decouple measuring of progress from goals so if if we look at goals as a as a mere tool not not the measure but but the tool this is what we set for ourselves and kind of it it's kind of an engine mode, right? We we input parameters into an engine, and then engine performs, and then we measure how how it performs. So we we look first. We look at the overall 
progress that we've made. Say we increased our sales by 13%. We signed up 12 new clients. We lost four uh, old clients and something like that. And this is what happened. We probably there would be good things they that we can celebrate and then that's it and then we start looking at the goals these were the goals that we set for ourselves were they helpful for 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 our progress or were they not helpful for this and almost do kind of impassionate impassionate review of the goals as an instrument i think that this this thinking is a little bit inspired by kind of incident reviews that engineers all over the world and in different industries too when they found or we we found we as engineers found that it is more productive when something bad happens it is more productive to focus on like how to prevent this thing without trying to find who's guilty and assigning the blame Mm -hmm. and this kind of this this kind of procedure yields better results overall and maybe something like that, some some of this mindset we can apply maybe to to goals and evaluate progress as one step of the process, and then look at the goals as a tool a bit separately. Well, I was listening to you. I have four points to mention. Right. Cool. Let, let, let's see if you can make all four of them, like me. You're a smart man. Pa- paper cuts it. So. The first thing was related to the idea that maybe people who can see the longer perspective can feel better and rearrange their tasks and KPIs better. The issue here is that it requires strategic thinking. And in my personal belief, it's really hard to teach somebody strategic thinking if the person is not really open to it because it's the thinking pattern. And you should be really interested to do that. And when I think Mm -hmm. about an average English teacher who is quite a process-oriented person. Get this person into the strategic thinking for the company might be a challenge, especially if the person is not really motivated to get into this sort of expertise because, guys, I teach English. Like, I don't need goal-setting strategies for 10 years. That's not for me. That, this is not what I do. I'm not here to do this thing. And I, I think that engineers quite often do that when somebody comes with business goals and objectives to them. They say, oh, no, 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 that's not my job. I'm a middle developer. My task is to do my work, and that's what I do best. Uh, The next thing was about the pressure that you mentioned, and I think that there is some kind of, again, disbalance here, because nowadays in Ukraine, when uh, there are a lot of blackouts and unpredictable electricity uh, shortages, it's okay to reschedule a meeting, finally. (laughs) Like, you can write someone a person without feeling ashamed that, like, I'm sorry, I can't talk right now because there are some unpredictable circumstances that came up. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't have any internet connection and electricity, so it's kind of hard to talk to you. Let's reschedule for tomorrow. And people are understanding. Like, when I see, when it happens to me, I feel more understanding. When Mm -hmm. I text someone, I also see that people feel much more compassionate and considerate here. And if we remove this context and just somebody asks to reschedule things, I already feel irritation and frustration. When somebody comes 10 minutes later to the meeting, I feel irritation and frustration before I actually think why it has happened and what 
mm-hmm. caused this. Maybe it was for the greater good, but I will never know because my basic assumption that it's disrespect or misorganization or something along those lines. And this is where this perfectionism pops in. And uh, the next point I thought about was the deadlines, that the pressure that we set upon ourselves by setting very specific deadlines sometimes mm-hmm. is also one of the reasons we feel this pressure. And let's right. say I would like to write an article. I set a deadline for three weeks. In three weeks, I don't have an article because it's a creative process and it's really hard. And in this case, I really like what CGP Gray does in, with his videos. Like he rearranged the model so he's not that linked to specific publishing uh, mm-hmm. dates, but still there, there are some limitations with his YouTube channel. And the idea here that maybe I need four weeks and I wouldn't like to feel ashamed when I realize this, like when two weeks in, I understand that I need one extra week and I just can just edit it without feeling that I haven't failed. And the last one um, is that sometimes I see that there is a growing culture of accepting the mistakes when people come and say like, you know, I didn't consider this, this is what happened, pa-pam. People feel much more understanding here. I think it's the tech companies that started this tendency, like Google with their policy of tolerance to mistakes. And if you are focused on solving them, if you know what to do, if you Mm -hmm. pump, 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 then you're fine. But on the other hand, when somebody doesn't achieve the goal, there, there is almost no tolerance here. If the CEO doesn't meet the quarterly goals, Mm-hmm. There is very little understanding towards this person, even though basically it's a mistake of uh, assessment or forecasting. So I think that th- there is a conflict in here. Right. And speaking to, to, to this like last point, as, as you were describing things, I thought that, it, and, and the conflict is, is the very right word because in any, maybe in, in most situations or in, in many situations, we can come up with examples of how the thing that worked well in, 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 in one case would work badly or kind of break things in, in, some, in some other case, like with, with setting, even with the setting goals it, them, themselves, right? We, we agree that in some situations for some type of people, some, kind of, some kinds of goals, they, they work. But we cannot translate or extrapolate this to whole, uh, whole host of situations because in other situations with other types of people or with other types of endeavors, setting very specific goals just might not work and make things even worse than not, not setting goals at all. I remember for this, I'm 95% sure that there was a uh, research that said that when developers or software engineers work on tasks without deadlines, this actually is the fastest method of getting something delivered because they, they, they kind of did something along the lines of they, they de- develop without deadlines, then very strict deadlines, less strict deadlines, and very lax, lax deadlines or something like that. So even with, with stricter deadlines, probably because of additional induced stress and whatnot, uh, they were not, engineers were not performing as well as without deadlines. And on average, uh, the delivery times for things without deadlines were faster than 
things even with with strict strict deadlines. So method that there is a conflict, right? So the methods are not universally applicable, and it does make sense to find um, something that works in specific case, or at least make conscious attempt to find something that would work for a particular company for a particular particular team or even a particular individual as well and with individual it's i guess kind of sort of individual's job to to do that <laughs> it's not that slava and dima will come or that uh, hosts of the focused podcast will come and tell it you do this and you'll be successful you will arrive yeah probably it doesn't work this way <laughs> You know, I have a feeling that Agile was actually meant to resolve this issue. Like the entire philosophy was kind of supposed to fix it, but then something went wrong. <laughs> and we use nice methodology. We repeat the words flexibility quite often, but then somebody fails the deadline and we tell this person off or ask for a one-to-one and say like, hmm, 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 five articles per year. Like that's what you do. And the fact that you've published just three, yes, they were amazing. Yes, they are on the cover of Wire magazine. Yes, yes, but only three. Uh -uh. Uh, That's tough. That's tough. So I think that there there is like, I know it's maybe the transition period that uh, we are heading through right now. and. As an entrepreneur, I've had this fear that if you stop monitoring things closely, if you basically remove those KPIs and strict goals and restrictions and stuff, you can lose the control. Because managers of the 70s, 60s, 80s were saying, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And that is partially the truth. But I think that transparency is not the same as uh, over-focus or over-concentration on uh, delivering things the way they were described. Uh, And once again, I will quote CGP Gray uh, from Cortex Podcast when he refers to past himself as someone Mm -hmm. who actually didn't know what's going to happen. And whatever that person said (laughs) two months ago, he didn't know stuff. And I'm here right now, I know stuff, so I'm not really responsible for unawareness of past me about things that are happening, but I'm here now and I'm aware and let's talk about this. Right. And, and I guess that, that's a very profound, profound thought, like dividing this as a past me versus future me. And when here you set the goals or something, you send a note, send a message to the future you and it's his job to decide what to actually do with that. Not It's not his job to blindly follow the advice. I think another metaphor I can have for for this is when you are driving somewhere in, in the area you don't really know, like you, you fully rely on the navigator that, that you have and then tells you go that way. Or like I've been in this situation, I was rushing to 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 an airport to, to pick up someone. And of course, like I have very little knowledge of, kind of London. I, I know the, the area where I live, so I can roughly go around without a navigator, but anything further, of course, I, I need a navigator to, to do that. And uh, I was driving to, to airport and the navigator tells me like, like on the next roundabout, take the third exit. And I'm trying to take the third exit, but it's closed because there was an accident and this entire road is closed by police. 
I cannot just continue going through their barriers, right? I, I have to make a different decision, change the plan, and the kind of reconsider. Um, like I, I uh, exited the next available exit, navigator recalculated the new route, and I continued continued going. It's like it's similar. I think it, it's it's similar thing. You should not. The goals are that kind of a navigator, and if you come across something that goes in conflict with with those goals it's just a signal from heavens that you it's probably time to reconsider or at least think about where we are going and uh, make a decision whether we should continue going that way and i think it also requires some certain level of maturity when you firstly schedule in advance extra time for driving considering there might be accidents on the road then you don't actually punish yourself for not foreseeing that there is an accident on the road. Mm-hmm. And after things change, uh, you're cool with that. So you, you thought about this. Yes, there is a chance something might not go according to the plan. Let's make another plan and focus on achieving things we have to achieve right now. Well, that's, that's a great thought. Like, and, and, and even if you are late to your destination, not punishing yourself for that and maybe not let other people punish you for that because you can say hey i'm only 20 minutes late i could could have been an hour late if things went even more wrong there and once again i think that there is some sort of calculated risk uh, mm-hmm. that you could still like, yes. put, put in and if you didn't that's an issue and probably that's a reason to reconsider your planning approach overall and maybe leave a bit earlier next time that's like yeah. a lesson learned and you paid Mm-hmm. A few thousand dollars of ticket costs just to cover this lesson, but that's the way life goes. Indeed. Um, is there anything else you'd like to mention from the notes on the topic? No, I think I think we're good. I think it was a great, great discussion, and it, the complex topics. And this seems to be a complex and multifaceted topic. Always make for for great uh, discussion. Would you like to spoiler the next one? Yeah, I think we we can try. I, I, I don't think it's going to be as much of a spoiler because we are not going to discuss it, right? I think that the topic I have in mind for the next uh, for the next episode is kind of decision making error, and in particular things that I think people refer to as structured decision making, like the tools decision and methods, making frameworks, models. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. See how um, we'll see how it goes. We will, and hopefully you'll see too. And that would should happen in two weeks. Hopefully, good weeks. Right, uh, good weeks. <laughs> <laughs>